Let me put up a um, picture and ask if you know this man. Who is that? Well, it's a picture taken a number of years ago. Uh, Larry, I'm sorry. You know who it is, don't you? Otis Chandler, thank you. Yeah, I think it's not the best picture of him. I mean, I think it is a number of years ago, but that's a picture of Otis Chandler. Some of you are wondering who he is. Well, he's the owner of this fine automobile. Uh, Otis Chandler was a remarkable person. I someday will have a little better screen, but that's a fantastic collector car. He's an owner of this all this automobile as well. Uh, there's another one. Otis Chandler uh, was born and raised here in Southern California in Los Angeles. He was born into a very, very wealthy family. You might say he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. However, his parents determined that he would grow up to be a disciplined, hardworking individual. So at the age of 12, they sent him off to a grocery store to work, packing groceries. Uh, He later went to a private school back east, went to Stanford University, and was in the Air Force. It's rumored that uh, he was a star athlete at Stanford. It's rumored that he almost set a record in shot put. Just coming a few inches away from that, he was into shot put and discus throwing. Throughout his life, he had a passion for automobiles and motorcycles, as well as cycling. He was always an athlete. He was an avid hunter and a remarkable person. In uh, When he got out of school, after the Air Force and school, he wasn't sure what he was going to do. And his dad said, well, I'll tell you exactly what you're going to do. You're going to start working for the L.A. Times, and I have a six-year plan for you. <laughs> So he started on the executive plan. His dad owned the L.A. Times at that time. And his dad started him out loading trucks and working nights in the press room for $48 a week. And he worked through every dimension, every phase of life at the L.A. Times. Now, in those days, the L.A. Times was one of the ten worst newspapers in the United States of America, according to Time magazine. Literally, the L.A. Times was started to further the interests of rich people in Los Angeles, a very conservative Republican paper that only cared about the rich and uh, therefore wasn't much of a paper. Finally, after Otis had been working for a number of years in his dad's paper, he took it over. He became the director of the paper, and he realized that it was sort of a joke, that the rest of the earth thought it was a terrible paper, and so he said, I'm going to make it the best paper I can. And in the 20 years that he ran the paper, he transitioned it from one of the worst to one of the best in the country. He had a remarkable life. He died a few weeks ago, February 27th, and his service was just across the street at All Saints. I don't think he was much of a churchman, but uh, they packed the house and uh, there were all kinds of people who came to celebrate his life. Today I want to talk to you about what does it mean to have a great life. I'd like you to think about the word greatness with me, if you would. And we use the the word great quite a bit. You may think of stars. Here's a a great basketball player, probably recognize him. Kobe Bryant, is that what it means to be great? Or here are some people who had great accomplishments. Reese Witherspoon, uh, George Clooney received, uh, what is that award? You folks don't get out much, do you? That would be, they were at the Academy Awards a week or two ago. They received Oscars, yes, and uh, for their accomplishments in film. And sometimes we think, well, if you you achieve a great uh, award or if you're great in sports, you must be a great person. Sometimes we think, well, it's not about things you receive. It may be that you're a high achiever. Here's a high achiever. 
right? George Bush. Here's another high achiever. You recognize this person? Bill Gates. Yeah, the richest man in the world. He's a high achiever. Um, here's another high achiever. You recognize this? Oh, no, that's the wrong photo. Anybody know who that is? Shaking your head. It's Martha Stewart. No, that's a joke. Come on here. Let's put up the real Martha Stewart. I'm sorry, Martha. But uh, here's a high achiever. You know, there's a better picture of Martha Stewart. Uh, another high. And last of all, maybe the highest achieving woman we'll ever hear about is uh, Oprah. And sometimes we think, you know, these are great people. But I'd like you to think carefully without, about that with me this morning. These are people who have a great accomplishments, but does that mean that they are great people? Now, in your bulletin, there is uh, an outline of where we're going. I'd encourage you to turn to that. And I want to prompt your thinking by asking a question. We're going to put these down real fast, so I don't want to linger here, but I think it's good at the introduction to prompt our thinking about greatness and what do we mean by that. Is greatness a game play? You know, Kobe scores a zillion points. Is greatness an award or a victory won or a game, a grade earned? You got the best grade in your class. Is that something to do with greatness? Or is greatness about being first, best, or richest? Is that what we mean when we talk about greatness? Isn't greatness something a little deeper than that? We live in a society that one, I think, could say is addicted to success, power, and popularity. Most of us, perhaps all of us, want to do well. Haven't you grown up hearing these things? Do your best. Give it all you've got. Leave it all on the line. You're expected, aren't you, to what? Make something of yourself. We grow up hearing that. It's easy to be seduced by society when we see status or success. This morning, I want to talk to you, what does it mean to be great? And particularly, what does it mean to be a great person? Now, all of these famous people we put up there, uh, you might say they were great people, you might not say they were great people. The truth is, you and I don't know, because we don't know them. We only know their public persona, or their accomplishment. We know nothing about their real life. So we really don't know if they're great people, as we want to think about it today. This morning, I'd like to challenge you to think about, what does it mean to be a great person? And, of course, we're going to come to Scripture, uh, a lot of Scripture today. We're studying the book of Mark between now and Easter, and you're on J.R.'s reading plan, right? We're in Luke right now. We're going to be in Mark soon. And as we read through Mark, pretty much in the heart of Mark, chapters 9 and 10, I want to look there today. And if you like to follow in your Bible, you might pull a pew Bible out, and we're on page 44, 45, 46. Jesus is traveling. And he's had this great experience on the mountaintop that we call the Transfiguration. And uh, then as the chapter rolls on, Jesus begins to explain to the disciples that he's going to Jerusalem and, and he's going to die there. Now, as we think about greatness, I think we need to begin by recognizing mostly you are self-seeking. Let's look at some scripture taken out of Mark chapter 9. Mostly you are self-seeking. Uh, Jesus 
tells the disciples he's about to die, and then in the next paragraph, the disciples are arguing, and he asks them what they were arguing about, and here's what it says. But they were silent, the disciples, for on the way they had argued with one another about what? Who was greatest? This is a very legitimate theme for this passage. And then I think we have another scripture. From the next chapter, the subject comes up again. Jesus said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? Because James and John had just asked, thinking Jesus was going back to establish the kingdom in Jerusalem and be the king, they had just asked, Lord, when you come into your power, we'd like to sit one on the right and one on the left. They had just asked for a place of privilege. And so Jesus responds, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now, I lift up both these verses because I think they demonstrate to us a very common human reality. We are self-seeking people. It's rather shocking, back in chapter 9, in verse 30, it says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And as Jesus travels, he explains to his disciples, in fact, he says in verses 31 and 32, they will kill me. Exactly what Jesus, it's an exact quote. They will kill me. And then you get to the next paragraph, and it says they come to Capernaum, and they're in a house, and Jesus says, what were you arguing about on the way? And you get the idea that they had absolutely either not heard Jesus, or ignored him, or didn't care. Jesus says, I'm going to die. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. And one suspects they're arguing about it because Peter, James, and John had been signaled out to go up on the mountain. They had had that special mountaintop privilege. And maybe the others were jealous. I don't know. But they're arguing about it because they're self-seeking. And many times we are. All of us generally prefer first to last. We prefer power to weakness. We prefer beauty to ugliness. That's the way we are. We say, well, what's wrong with trying to get a leg up? I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to do? You better get your name in the ring first so you have a chance. Isn't that the way we're supposed to be? And so I I simply want to, as we talk about greatness, to point out our own uh, brokenness and desire sometimes to be first or to be self-seeking. It's here right in the Apostles. They're an example of it. So that's all I want to do at this point is recognize your own uh, propensity to be self-seeking. Admit it. Now, Alfred Lloyd Tennyson wrote, this was the day before the day of inclusive language, but he said, Offer the man to arise in me that the man I am may cease to be. And that's a good line. And I want to encourage you. Uh, that we have this ego, this tendency to dominate, to be first, to be most powerful, to take advantage of others. And it comes up right here in this discussion about it, what it means to be great. So, so note that. Now, what is next? In our passage, Jesus turns to talk about the culture and greatness. Culture is a false guide to greatness. Would you turn to your neighbor and just say, Southern Cal can't teach you about greatness? Charles says, Amen. Come to Philadelphia, where we've got the bell. (laughs) Why do I say that? Well, let's look at some scriptures. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, that would be the culture of the day, 
those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Jesus raises the issue of how the Gentiles respond, how they like power, how they like success, how they define those things. And then he says, that's not a good model for you. It should not be that way with you, my disciples. Jesus plainly teaches his followers that the culture is not to set the standard for greatness. So I think to Reese Witherspoon we can say, and to George Clooney, okay, congratulations, great movie. By the way, have anybody seen Walk the Line? Did you like? Ah, good, you do get out. Very good. Yeah, kind of a cool movie about Johnny Cash. Have you seen it yet? Uh, I know we have. You, oh, David hasn't seen it. Jeanette, you better take him to see it. You can actually get it on DVD now and uh, save some money. But anyhow, uh, you know, we can say great movie. You did a great job there. But that's different than saying you're a great person. And that's what I, 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 wa- I want to get that in your head today, that uh, a great accomplishment does not make somebody a great person. And today, as we come to Scripture, we're talking about what does it mean to be a great person. And we're warned by Jesus that the culture is a false guide to greatness. So we've talked about a couple things. If you look out in the culture, that's a false guide to greatness. We recognize that within all of us there's this self-seeking, which we can sometimes promote ourselves in ways we should not. We can be arrogant or egotistical. What are some positive things we can look at? And there are just two that I want to lift up out of this passage. The first is this. Be welcoming. Would you turn to your neighbor, just stick out your hand and say, Welcome. We practiced that again uh, earlier today. Why do I say be welcoming? Well, let's look at some scriptures and then I'll talk more about that. And we're going to settle in here for a moment. This is of Jesus. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. Do I have another line up there? I don't. Ah, Well, let me just keep reading here. Um, The focus here is on Jesus, not the children. As I read through several commentaries this week on this passage, everybody goes to the children. And they said, you know, we're supposed to enter the kingdom of God as a child, etc., etc. Actually, that happens in chapter 10 is where Jesus talks about that. But in chapter 9, I think it's totally to miss the point to focus on the children. Let me set the scene again for you, and we're in, in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through uh, 37. Jesus says, what were you arguing about? They're quiet. They're embarrassed. They're like kids caught with their hand in the cookie jar. They don't want to tell him. Well, they're arguing about who's greatest. And Jesus says to them, okay, if you want to talk about greatness, let's talk about it. And rather than actually giving a lesson, which we would do, Jesus said, let me demonstrate something. So he calls a child to himself. Some have suggested it might have been Simon Peter's child or an apostle's child. But he calls the child and says, come over here, honey, sit out on my lap. And gives her a big hug and says, it's great to see you and begins to chat with the child. What's the point? If your eyes are on Jesus and not the child, you see that Jesus is welcoming someone. And here's what he says in verse 37. Whoever, this is the only thing Jesus says about that. He says, whoever wants to be first must be last and servant of all. And then verse 37, whoever welcomes, that's one use of the word, one such child in my name welcomes me a second time. And whoever welcomes me a third time welcomes not only me, but the one who sent me. Four times in this summary verse, 
Jesus uses the word welcome or receive or accept. That's huge. And the point is, to the disciples, as he talks about greatness, he says, why don't you be a welcomer? Now, it's astonishing to read in the very next chapter, when children try to come to Jesus, what do the disciples do? Can't come. They don't welcome the children. How hard it must have been on Jesus to realize, I teach these lessons, and nobody's listening. In fact, in verse 37, he says, whoever welcomes such child welcomes me. Verse 38, same chapter. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Is that astonishing or what? I mean, the very next line, Jesus has talked about welcoming. What does John do? I don't know that guy. I don't know who he is. He's not an American Baptist. It must be bad. And we tried to stop him. We set up a... I don't know. And that's exactly what John, who is surely one of the leading apostles, that's what he got out of the lesson. I mean, did he hear Jesus? Be a welcoming person. And in fact, Jesus goes on and says, don't stop him. He's not against us. He must be for us. And Jesus concludes by saying, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. Which reminds you of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 25 where he talks about giving a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty in the name of Christ or to clothe the naked. What does it look like to be a welcoming person? Well, it looks like this. You know, you're, you're like this and not like this. Or like this. And if you know anything about body language, you can sit with people and you know when they're talking to you how they feel as they fidget around. And so this morning, as we think about what it means to be a great person, it means that we give up a little bit of this self-seeking attitude. We stop looking to our culture to define greatness for us. And we realize greatness means opening myself up a bit like this. I welcome the child among me, or whoever it is that happens to be there. Now, I want to... I'm quoting again from this book I've been reading, Radical Discipleship, and it's written by a Benedictine monk. They are into hospitality. That's part of their rule, is to welcome people. And... Here's what he says about the word welcoming or hospitality or acceptance. Acceptance. Now, there's a word loaded with meaning. (laughs) I might say in our day, there's a loaded word. We tend to confuse acceptance with tolerance or even approval. But acceptance is about receiving rather than judging. The father who will not visit his son because his son is living unmarried with a woman, (laughs) or even another man, might say he doesn't want to condone his son's choices. We feel for him, but we know it's a cover-up, too, because we have rationalized our avoidance of things and situations we would rather not have to face. Then we can hide the disappointment, cover the anger, and justify the rejection. We struggle in our best efforts to hold back judgment and just accept. Acceptance is not about condoning. Acceptance is about embracing. When we accept, we take an open stance. Now, he gives an example of that, and I want to share this uh, example. But before I do, lest I get in trouble, uh, I'm not in favor of smoking marijuana. You got that? Okay. 
If you're smoking pot, stop it. If you need help stopping it, get in the support group until you do stop it, okay? Uh, so this story is not approving of any action like that. But let me read you this story. The story takes place on the monastery grounds with an old young a monk and a young monk. And it's a beautiful summer day. Father Noel and Father Dan were taking a walk on the monastery grounds one day. It was the kind of day made for a walk with a friend. A group of 11 and 12-year-olds from an institution for troubled children were on a tour of the monastery. They had arrived by hay wagons pulled by horses with a couple of young drivers, probably in their late teens. Acres of rolling grass invited you to stretch out on the sultry summer day and enjoy the soft grass and the warmth of the earth. The two monks were enjoying one of those long, warm days of late summer. Occupied in conversation, Father Dan did not notice the hay wagon drivers until they came within a few yards. I was stopped in my tracks, he remembers. Right there on the yard in front of us, the two wagon drivers were passing a joint back and forth, looking completely at home, as if this is the most natural thing in the, to do, in the world to do in a monastery. In case you're wondering, it isn't. Father Noel, born in Italy and a monk all of his adult life, had never seen marijuana. He was not naive or stupid. Such thing was simply not a part of his existence or experience. Father Dan, on the other hand, was a street-smart kid raised in Detroit. Before he could demand an explanation, Father Noel spoke up. Young men, he exclaimed with wide-armed relish. We're so glad you're here with us today to enjoy the grass. It was an enthusiastic and heartfelt welcome from the hospitality and the soul of an old monk. The guys naturally thought he was one very cool old monk. It would never have occurred to Father Noel to be suspicious of these young men. While many people would have considered them intruders, his welcome could not have been more sincere. He was delighted to see the children of God enjoying the expansive grounds. He was very happy to see someone enjoying the grass of the monastery. Well, just an example about hospitality, about what it means to be a person who is a welcoming kind of person. When I... Um, was talking to my son Roger this week. He said, as he often does, Dad, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I said, I'm preaching on greatness. And that spurred some considerable conversation. And he said, do you know any great people? And I thought about that. And I would put that question to you as well. Uh, do you know any great people? And I said, yeah, I do, Roger. And we talked about some people that we know that we think are great. One of the names I mentioned was Dr. Emery Campbell former executive director of the L.A. Baptist City Mission Society, an American Baptist pastor and leader all of his life. And uh, the Lord called him home far too early for uh, most of us. Emery was known as a, a lover of people. He was a, this kind of guy. You felt great when you were around him. You felt great when you left his presence. He was just that kind of person. He was hospitable. He was welcoming. And I think as you think about great people, you will remember or see within many of them that there are welcoming kinds of people. Hospitality. What is hospitality about? Jesus is modeling being welcoming or being hospitable. Hospitality is creating a space in your life for another. 
Welcoming someone is not the same of approving of everything they do or thinking like they think. It's simply welcoming them. Hospitality enables you to joyfully make room inside your open heart. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are and who you are becoming. So I encourage you this morning, as you think about greatness, bring in that word as well. What does it mean to be hospitable, to be a welcoming person? Because as Jesus defines greatness, it has to do with welcoming others into your life. There's one other characteristic of greatness as Jesus talks about it here. What is it? It's this. Be a servant. Be a servant. Let's look at the Scripture. But it is not so among you. Now, Jesus has just talked about the Gentiles and said, the Gentiles define greatness like this, but it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you should be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me very quickly give you four words that have to do with greatness. We're not going to talk about these. They'd be great sermon points or subpoints, but let me get them out there. Uh, first of all, key marks for servants are humility. Philippians 2 says of Jesus, Jesus humbled himself. I remind you that in the Proverbs it says God hates pride. One of the seven things. So humility is huge. Self-denying is another. Jesus said that you and I have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Thirdly is self-giving, and fourthly is self-risking. Again, that passage about Jesus covers all of these when it says, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Serving is not easy. Serving is costly. You have to be flexible when you serve, don't you, J.R.? You're going to catch curveballs and high hard ones at the head and the low ones at your feet. I mean, if you're going to be a servant of Jesus, it'll cost you something. There's a risk involved. Now, I want to conclude with a little more careful look at what Jesus said. In, we're in, uh, in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 43. And I'm going to slow down a minute. This is the second half of the verse. Jesus says... Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, your diakonos, your, like our board of deacons. Now, Jesus does not condemn greatness. In fact, he says, if you'd like to be great, great, come on, let me show you how to be great. So Jesus is not against greatness. He's in favor of it. And then he says, whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave, doulos of all. And then he has that concluding line that we'll come back to in just a minute. Now, if you were to say, Steve, how can I really apply this sermon? Here's how. Put in your head two questions. The first question is, who can I welcome? In fact, that's not in your notes. I encourage you to write it down. And if you would every day think about that question, if I'm going to be like Jesus, the question is, who can I welcome? And I'm not talking about going out and trying to find somebody to welcome. As people... As people come through your life in the day, who can you welcome? That's a fantastic question to think about. And the second question is, who and how can I serve? And each day you can ask and answer that. Uh, I suggest to you that as you do so, you're going to become a great person.
Now, the last verse is really the one that sums it all up. George Eldon Ladd was a great American Baptist, and he was a longtime scholar at Fuller Seminary. He says of Mark 10.45 that it is the most vivid statement about Jesus' death found in the Bible. That's a big statement. Huge verse. Jesus said, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Now, could it be, listen to me as we conclude, could it be that you have the capacity for greatness? What do you think? Could it be that the greatest, that that greatness is not a deed done or an award won, but it's a life lived? Could it be as you think about great people that they're not out there somewhere, that actually sitting around you this morning are some truly great people as God counts greatness? Could it be? Could it be that a person with an IQ of 90 could actually live a greater life and be a greater person than someone with an IQ of 90? Could it be? Could it be that God has given you the capacity for greatness? Let me tell you something, moms and dads. Your children are depending on you to be a great... Grandpas and grandmas, your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are depending on you to be a great person. Our church needs some great people in it. God's kingdom needs some great servants in it. Our world needs some people who say, I want to be great as God counts greatness. When you go to work tomorrow, the place you work needs some great people there. And I'd like to suggest you could be that person. And Jesus shows you how. I don't know about you. I don't know what you wish. But if you wish for great greatness... I'd encourage you to stand right now and pray with me. I'm going to put this prayer on the board, and I'm going to pray it. It's a prayer I've written. That's my commitment, and I hope ours, to greatness for God. Would you stand, if you care to pray this, with me? Lord, there are certainly times in my life when I want to be first or best or richest, I want to be most popular, or most powerful, or most beautiful. All around me are people striving to succeed and to win. Today, Lord God, I hear the voice of your Spirit showing me another way, the way of Jesus. Today, Heavenly Father, I declare to you that I want to be a great person. I want to be great as you count greatness. I will look to Christ and not culture to guide me. I will open my heart to become welcoming people like Jesus. I will humble myself to serve others like Jesus. Like Jesus, I will joyfully do what you want me to do. Thank you in Jesus' name for calling forth greatness from me. All praise and glory to you, dear God. Amen.